Hi, this is John Fantine, lead pastor of Evolve Church, and this is the Evolve Church Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. We trust that this week's message is encouraging and full of hope for wherever you are at. Last week we read from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. It'll be behind me on the screen. It said, Beloved friends, what should be our proper response to God's marvelous mercies? I encourage you to surrender yourselves to God to his sacred living, to be his sacred living sacrifices, and to live in holiness, experiencing all that delights his heart. Man, I would love to experience all that delights God's heart, wouldn't you? For this becomes your genuine expression of worship. Stop imitating the ideals and opinions of the culture around you, but be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how you think. This will empower you to discern God's will as you live a beautiful life, satisfying and perfect in his eyes. I love that it says satisfying and perfect in God's eyes. We so often stress out because our life isn't satisfying and perfect in our eyes. But when we submit and surrender and trust God, it becomes this beautiful amazing, perfect life to God. That's a freebie. God's given me grace to speak a warning about pride. Not me, but the guy who's writing this. I would ask each of you to be emptied of self-promotion and not create a false image of your importance. Now, read aloud with me. Instead, honestly assess your worth by using your God-given faith as the standard of measurement. I can't hear you. And then you will see your true value with an appropriate self-esteem. Boom. We made the point last week that there's no harm in measuring your life. We think about measuring our life often in terms of comparison and the danger of comparing our lives to other people's lives. We talked about how we compare to other people's lives, how we compare to other people's expectations on us, how we compare to our past self and who we used to be and what we used to be good at and all the things we compare ourselves to. So I'm not talking the comparison so much as I'm talking about looking at the life and the mercy and the grace and the truth of the person of Jesus Christ and then using that as our measuring stick, using that as our measuring tape by what we gauge the worth of our life by. I said there's no harm in measuring your life so long as your motive for measurement is stewardship, that we need to steward the lives we've been entrusted with, and you're using the right tools to measure with. So how should we measure and assess our worth as humans? And I made this comment, to measure up is to honestly assess your worth in light of God's grace as you live your life in the love of Jesus. Now, part two. That's a little recap from last week. I'm I almost laughed out loud because Nicole referenced the Edmonton Oilers. And we're not a sports family. And the fact that we're going to make two sports analogies in one Sunday, uh, I didn't know she was going to say that. And she doesn't know that I'm about to say what I'm about to say. So it's, this is probably, maybe it's because it's Grey Cup Sunday and it's kind of a sports weekend. Maybe it was inside both of us. But it's hilarious that you made a sports analogy, my dear, because let's play a little guessing game. Are you ready? Are there any sports fanatics in the room? There's one. Uh, I, see, I see another hand. I see that hand. Hallelujah. Yeah, there's a couple people. Um, we're going to play a little guessing game. 
Are you okay with guessing games? I'm going to see if you can figure out who I'm talking about. As of this month, November 2018, the person I'm talking about, their current net worth is estimated at $1.7 billion by Forbes. Sports figure. Oh, <laughs> very good close. Uh, he said it, but you probably didn't hear it. He's the third richest African-American as of 2018, behind Robert F. Smith and Oprah Winfrey. He's one of the most marketed sports figures in all of history. Anybody else want to take a guess if you didn't hear Claude? Michael Jordan. Very good. Many of his contemporaries have said that he's the greatest basketball player of all time. In the same year, he won an NCAA championship. He won an NBA championship and an Olympic gold medal. Matter of fact, he won two Olympic gold medals for the American basketball team. And NBA great Larry Bird described Michael Jordan as God disguised as Michael Jordan. <laughs> that's a true story. Uh, that's not fake news. That's, that's real news right there, ladies and gentlemen. Um, there's a, a guitarist by the name of Ricky Medlock. He was a front man for, I think, Leonard Skinner. Um, but he said this about Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan was like basketball Jesus. So now there's two references to Michael Jordan. God, you know, and, and then the, he's basketball Jesus. So as a kid growing up in the late 80s and early 90s, I was born in 1976, by the way. I'm 42 years old, in case you're wondering. Do the math. And uh, in, in Michael Jordan's heyday, I was a young teenager. And uh, I will never forget seeing a Michael Jordan commercial. And the other night, as I was preparing for this, this message today, I woke up. I hadn't even thought about talking about Michael Jordan today. It hadn't, hadn't come up in, in the hours I had already spent. But the other night, I woke up at 4.30 in the morning singing this song. Roll that commercial. I don't know why. I have no idea why. Is anybody here, was anybody here alive in the 90s? Am I the oldest guy in the room? Does anybody remember that commercial from like 1991? Okay. I remember that commercial from 1991, but I haven't seen that commercial since 1991. And I woke up literally 4.30 in the morning this week, a few nights ago, singing like Mike. If I could be like Mike, I want to be, I want to be like Mike. And I, I got up, and I, I sat in a chair, and I'm like, 
where the heck did that come from? And then I had, I had this, this thought. Okay, so I witnessed Michael Jordan's renown as a basketball player influence an entire generation of young people. And everybody, I mean, they purposely, uh, and I did some research, this song was uh, influenced by the Jungle Book. Uh, there's a, a famous song from the Jungle Book that King Louie sings, I Want to Be Like You. Ooh, 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 I just want to be like you. Ooh, ooh. And originally they were going to rewrite lyrics to that tune, but Disney wouldn't let them. So they rewrote a whole new song influenced by that song, and they got kids to sing it. And the original commercial was just footage of MJ doing his thing, number 23, soaring through the air. And, and they didn't like it, so they added all these kids and all this real-life footage of him interacting with kids. And a whole generation of kids and teenagers, people in my world, were influenced by this dude's renown as a basketball player, by his passion, by his commitment for the game, and by his, his love for the game, and by just how good he was. I was even influenced by Michael Jordan. In 1992, I would have been like 14 years old, I built a basketball net in my family's driveway with my dad just so I could learn how to play basketball. Now, to you listening, you're thinking, what's the big deal? I don't do sports. I'm a, I, I was an awkward, artsy singing, piano playing, theater acting, asthmatic kid. You laugh. It's not, it, it's not funny. It's true. I don't do the sports. I don't play the sports. I stopped playing the sports in grade four because I was so sick. I couldn't run. I couldn't play. I always had a Ventolin. I was that kid with the puffer that couldn't do anything. And in 1992, I built by hand a basketball hoop in our driveway, and I spent hours trying to play basketball, if only. I actually went on Google Images and looked up 52 Water Street in Chatham, Ontario to see if that basketball net still happened to be there, but it's not. It's been torn down years ago, sadly. My hard work, it probably fell over, actually. But I don't play basketball. Matter of fact, people all the time come up to me and they go, hey, man, you're so tall. Do you play basketball? I always look down and go, no. Do you play miniature golf? It's my line. It took me a long time to come up with it, but it's my line because people ask me so often, do you play basketball? And I don't. And so instead of saying, no, I'm, I'm ashamed because I'm 6'6", six, six, the same height as Michael Jordan, incidentally. Oh, come on, come on, right? Come on. But I suck at basketball. But a whole generation was influenced by one man, by his passion, by his love for the game. Be like Mike, inspired and motivated an awkward, uncoordinated, artsy, asthmatic kid to want to play the game. Why do I share about Be Like Mike? Because as we looked at what does it mean to measure up and to use Jesus, to make the statement, be like Jesus, is really important. It's also really vague. Be like Jesus. Well, that, that sounds Christian. Write that down real quick if you're taking notes. Be like Jesus. Good point, Pastor. Amen. Right? Be like Jesus. Be like Jesus. And as I was thinking about today, and I was thinking about this moment right here, I wondered, what would it look like for our hearts cry, like our, us, right now, 2018, God's people, 
human beings committed to loving and serving and learning how to trust and follow Jesus? What if our hearts cry, be like Jesus, was enough to transform an entire generation of young people and, and kids and old and young? What if be like Jesus and, and studying how Jesus moved and how he breathed and how he lived and how he loved and how he spoke and how he served and how he knelt and how he stood and how he sacrificed? What if be like Jesus as our hearts cry changed an entire generation? And I know it's vague, but I want to make it specific for you as we begin to use the tape measure of Jesus to examine our lives. I want to pick on one. Just one specific measurement from from the life and the love of Jesus that we can all learn to grow in this week as a community. I want to break it down. I want to make it practical. I want you to walk away going, I know what to do. I know how to do it. Be like Jesus. Jesus modeled what it means to love neighbor. He modeled so well what it means to love neighbor. Matthew 5, 43 and 44. Your ancestors have also been taught, love your neighbors and hate the one who hates you. Old covenant. Then Jesus says, however, I say, love your enemy. Bless the one who curses you. Do something wonderful for the one who hates you. And respond to the very ones who persecute you by praying for them. Love your neighbor. Matter of fact, love your enemies while you're at it, Jesus said. He didn't just teach it. He didn't just say it. He didn't just write it on a Hallmark greeting card. He lived it, hanging on a cross, sacrificing his life for all humanity. What did he do in his final moments? He turned to the one of the guys standing beside him and invited him to share in his eternal kingdom. There hanging, right, in his final moments. Jesus lived it. Matthew 22, 36 to 40. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? And Jesus answered, love the Lord your God with every passion of your heart, with all the energy of your being, and with every thought that is within you. This is the great and supreme commandment. And the second is like it in importance. You must love your friend in the same way you love yourself. Other translations use the word neighbor instead of friend. Contained within these two commandments to love, you will find all the meaning of the law and prophets. Matter of fact, Jesus' new kingdom The life that he lived and died for was to present us with an opportunity to simply trust and follow Jesus as we learn to love God and love neighbors, period. We we can fit everything within those two contexts as human beings nowadays, love God and love neighbors. Risking Jesus' reputation by taking time at the well, what did he do? He, He encouraged and transformed the life of a Samaritan woman. And if you know anything about the Jewish people and their history, and their relationship as a tribe with, with Samaria, it was both um, relationally and politically and religiously toxic and aggressive. Samaritans and Jews shouldn't hang out. I'll get more on that later. But Mark, 20, Mark 12, 28. Now a certain religious scholar overheard them debating, and when he saw how beautifully Jesus answered all their questions, he posed one of his own. And he said, Teacher, which commandment is the greatest of all? And Jesus said, The most important of all the commandments is this. The Lord our God is one. You're to love the Lord your God with every passion of your heart, with all the energy of your being, every thought that is within you, and with all your strength. This is the great and supreme commandment. And the second is this. You must love your neighbor in the same way you love yourself. You'll never find a greater commandment than these two. Never. I love in in both of these accounts, actually, Jesus is asked 
for the single most important commandment. Give it, break it down for me. What's, what do I got to do? Give me the thing. Isn't that what we all do? God, I just want to, I want to I be okay. What's the thing? Give me the thing. And then I'll do the thing, but give me the thing. And so Jesus is asked in two different accounts, uh, take note of this, what's the thing? And in both accounts, I love it that Jesus, is an- he answers by naming two commands, love God and love neighbor. He includes both because these two teachings cannot be separated from each other. These two loves cannot be removed from one another. If you say you love God, it will show up in how you love neighbor, period. Some people think they can love God and ignore the people around them. But Jesus frequently and often makes it crystal clear that loving God apart from loving his people is impossible. You cannot walk in love for God and walk in hate or disregard for other humans. You can't. You can't. It's impossible. Galatians 5.14, for love completes the law of God. All of the law can be summarized in one grand statement. Demonstrate love to your neighbor, even as you care for and love yourself. So what's a neighbor? Okay? I wanna, I want, that's what I want to take the last few minutes to talk about. What's a neighbor? Won't you be? Please won't you be? Won't you be my neighbor? It, it's the guy that lives beside me. It's the woman that lives across the street. It's the family that lives, you know, kitty corner from me. They're my neighbors. Yes. It's the woman that served me a Kit Kat when I was buying gas. Yes. It's the passionate human being that made my flat white at that coffee bar I go to. Mm-hmm. It's that jerk that I work with who gets the promotions when I don't. Yeah, he's your neighbor too. Terry Smith, uh, author and pastor, uh, he wrote a book called The Hospitable Leader, and he defines neighbor as anyone who is strange to us (laughs) or who we appear strange to. I like that because I appear strange to a lot of people. I'm good with that. But anybody who appears strange to us, people maybe that we're opposed to or at odds with in some way, not just the people that we're comfortable being with, not just that family that we love bringing over for brunch on the weekend because we get along well, but that other neighbor who parties late into the night and keeps us up and his dogs run in my yard and take a poop on my lawn, that neighbor. I'm supposed to love that guy too. But did he just say poop in church? (laughs) Yeah, he did. It's all good. I want to look at his story that Jesus used to teach about neighbor. And this story actually defines neighbor for us. And I'm going to pull four things out of it today that I want all of us to to package and take home with us and begin to live this week in this pursuit of measuring our lives up to the nature and the person and the character of Jesus Christ. He's our measurement. He's our tape measure. And how he did this was brilliant. If you read his story, how he, how he loved the marginalized, how he loved the outcast, how he loved the broken, how he loved the hurting. He lived it. He didn't just teach it. And we're meant to live it also. Matter of fact, we cannot separate our love from God from our tangible, practical, walk-it-out love for other human beings. Luke 10, 
The parable of the Good Samaritan. How many of you have heard this story before? The, the Good Samaritan? Let's read it together. Just then a religious scholar stood before Jesus in order to test Jesus' doctrine. And he posed this question. Teacher, what requirement must I fulfill if I want to live forever in heaven? Isn't it interesting how many people came up to Jesus and were like, okay, dude, level with me. What do I got to do to get in? They asked it in different contexts, in different situations, from different backgrounds, the scholars and religious peoples, lawyers, all kinds of people asked Jesus the same question. What do I got to do? What do I got to do? What do I got to do? And I think that question echoes right into our world today. People are wanting to know, what do I got to do? What do I got to do? And Jesus replied, what does Moses teach? What do you read in, in the old, in the covenant, in the law? And, and the religious scholars as well, it states, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your passion, all your energy, your every thought. And you must love your neighbor as well as you love yourself. And Jesus said, that's correct. Now go and do exactly that, and you will live. Wanting to justify himself, he questioned Jesus further, saying, what do you exactly mean by neighbor? All right, there it is. Well, who's included in neighbor? Like, if I'm supposed to love neighbor, is there anybody left out? And Jesus says, listen, and I'll tell you, there was once a Jewish man, note Jewish man, Traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, when bandits robbed him along the way, they beat him severely, stripped him naked, and left him half dead. Soon, a Jewish priest, walking down the same road, came upon the wounded man. Seeing him from a distance, the priest crossed to the other side of the road and walked right past him, not turning to help him one bit. And later, a religious man, a Levite, came walking down the same road and likewise crossed to the other side to pass by the wounded man without stopping to help him. And finally... Another man, a Samaritan, came upon the bleeding man and was moved with tender compassion for him. He stooped down and gave him first aid, pouring olive oil on his wounds, disinfecting his wounds with wine, bandaging his wounds to stop the bleeding, lifting him up. He placed him on his own donkey and brought him to an inn. Then he took him from his donkey, carried him into the inn for the night. The next morning, he took his own money from his wallet and gave it to the innkeeper with these words, take care of him until I come back from my journey. If it costs more than this, I'll repay you when I get back. And Jesus says, so tell me, which one of these three men who saw the wounded man proved to be the true neighbor? And the religious scholar responded, the one who demonstrated kindness and mercy. And Jesus said, you must go and do the same. Boom. Mic drop. This religious scholar wanting to justify himself tries to find the spot where he can wiggle through. And he says, okay, love my neighbor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's nice. But who's my neighbor? I think it's interesting also, I, I would rather pose that same question. You know, I can stand here and sing with my hands raised and and then I can leave and I go, yeah, I feel inspired. I, I'm going to love my neighbor. And just the idea of wanting to love my neighbor warms me up with this fuzzy feeling just enough rather than risk the inconvenience and sacrifice of actually going and doing the same. I just feel better for wanting to love my neighbors. But I don't necessarily always win at loving my neighbors. You see, if I, I take some time to just ponder who's my neighbor, then maybe I can appear 
but I love my neighbors. You know, I'm thinking about, you know, God, I want to love my neighbors. Who's my neighbor? And just, just thinking about it makes me feel better without actually taking any steps towards loving my neighbors. Be like Jesus. I want to be, I want to be like Jesus. Who seems strange to you? Or who do you appear strange to? Ever walked through a mall and they're like, ooh, what's that guy's deal? He seems weird. That's your neighbor. Figure out how to love that person. You ever gone into uh, your place of employment and a new person starts, new employee, and you're like, whoa, they're weird. That is a strange human being. Guess what? They're your neighbor. And we don't always get to know when we appear strange to people. I often get to find out because I ask. That's why I'm strange. <laughs> but we don't always know when we present as being strange. But maybe, maybe we're strange or, or people appear strange to us because we're politically opposed. Our politics are different. Or our, our gender is different. Or our race is different. Or our religion is different. Or our socioeconomic standing is different. Or are tasting coffee. Like, I think people that go to Tim Hortons are just weird. You know, they were, I don't want to open up this can, but they were, they were probably dropped as a child, you know, and that's, <laughs> no, uh, I'm kidding, sort of. No, no, that's just, we'll talk more about that later. But they appear weird to me, you know. And uh, imagine the hatred that we've witnessed between um, Serbs and Muslims in modern Bosnia. The hatred between race based on politics and religion. You know, in our, in our lifetime, we've seen that kind of hatred in the world. Think about the opposition and the hostility between Catholics and Protestants in Northern Ireland throughout the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. You've probably heard about the tension and the, the violence that rose up between Catholics and Protestants in Ireland. Again, based on politics and religion. Think of feuding between street gangs in L.A. or New York. Gangs opposed to each other, violently, aggressively opposed to each other based on where they stood and what they believed. This was the same tension that exists between Samaritans and Jews. And so when Jesus told the story of a Jewish man getting taken down on a road and beaten and stripped and left for dead, and his own people... His own kind walking by going, whew, ain't got time to deal with that mess. That should speak to us. That should speak to us, to, to the neighbors who don't seem strange, to the neighbors who we don't appear strange to. Do we still walk by and go, I, I'm not sure I have the time to, to wade into that. I'm just, you know, somebody else, I'll call a pastor. They can, they can clean up that. Right? What about the neighbor that Jesus references, this, this like absolutely opposed Jew to Samaritan? What kind of neighbors are you crazy opposed to? And when you have an opportunity to walk in love and show them tangible kingdom love because you say you love God and you love Jesus, this has got to give us some idea about the kind of tension that we should feel when faced with an opportunity to love somebody well. So from Luke, 
The story says, finally, another man, a Samaritan, came upon the bleeding man and was moved with tender compassion for him. He stooped down, gave him first aid, poured olive oil on his wounds, disinfected them with wine, and bandaged him to stop the bleeding. My first thought is we love neighbors like Jesus when we notice our neighbor's wounds and allow ourselves the time and the energy to respond to the wounded. You have been uniquely positioned in your world to see wounds around you. And often because we're all wounded, we all carry wound of some kind, we're hoping that other people will take the time to notice our woundedness and tend to our wounds. But really, the pursuit of loving God gives us the faith and the courage in the middle of our own hurt to step into other people's woundedness. The genuine care and concern for humanity's well-being, the daily interactions with the whosoever, both the scripted and the unscripted moments of life, people are wounded, maybe not physically, but certainly emotionally and mentally, they're wounded. So what would it look like for you to not always just pass by their wounds and hope that someone else will deal with that mess? But take the time to speak into that wound and and, and bring healing to that wound and, and bring bandage to that wound and bring hope to that wound and bring life to that wound. Loving your neighbor well, the same way that Jesus modeled, means we, are, we pay attention to wound around us, to the wounded, to the hurting. And then with courage and faith, despite our own brokenness, despite our own shortcoming, despite our own hurt, we take the time to step in and take a moment and care for other people's wounds. And then lifting him up, he placed him on his own donkey and brought him to an inn. And he took him from his donkey and carried him into a room for the night. We love neighbors like Jesus when we use our energy to lift up others and carry them in seasons where they cannot carry themselves. Does the Spirit of God within us want us to measure up with how we show love to neighbors? Does God want us to win on this front? Yes or no? If you're wondering, yes. God's Spirit within us wants us to rise up and win on this front. And what's amazing is God's Spirit fills in the gaps where we know we can't. And did you know that you living your life well as a credit to the message of Christ Jesus means you're going to have times and seasons and moments where you get to use your very own self to help lift up and carry someone else? It stands to reason that we're going to receive help and nudging from God's Spirit on this one. Because He wants us to win. God wants us to overcome. God wants us to step into the wound and be there for people in seasons where we can assist and bring healing, but also to help carry, to help lift, whatever that means. Maybe it's an emotional burden that we just help carry. We respond in faith when we're thinking about that person. Man, man, I'm thinking about them for a reason. I better call them. And we, we diligently pick up the phone and we make that phone call. Hey, I'm just thinking about you today. Really? Yeah, how come? I don't know. I was just driving and I was just thinking about you. No way, because I'm having a really tough moment right now. Oh, oh that's a coincidence. Or, or it's God using you to carry somebody. But the point is this. When, when the Spirit of God inside nudges you to, to lift and to carry somebody, step in. Loving neighbors the same way that Jesus loved means we're willing to just step in and help carry people. Lift them for a season. Because the next morning, he took his own money from his wallet. Oh, shoot, he's talking about money. 
And he gave it to the innkeeper with these words, take care of him until I come back. And if, if it costs more, I'll settle up when I get back. We actually love neighbors like Jesus when we're willing to spend our hard-earned cash on caring for the needs of other people, even if we can't see the benefits. It's kingdom principle, friends. Yeah, but what if they wait? It doesn't matter how they spend it. It just matters that you respond. When you're prompted, give. When you're nudged, give. Yeah, but no. Give. The spiritual understanding that I'm a steward in this lifetime makes this one easy, or easier. But it makes it necessary. Give a little something to every good work is actually what the Bible says. Every good work? Yeah, every good work. Give something. Just give. Be known for being generous. Be known for using your money not just to build and fuel and, and, and amp up your own life, but to be a blessing to other people. Be generous. Outgive yesterday's generosity. Teach your kids to use money to help other people, not just spend on themselves, especially others that can't help you back. And so now tell me, which one of the three who saw the wounded man prove to be the true neighbor? The religious scholar responded, well, the one who demonstrated kindness and mercy. And Jesus said, so go and do the same. Lastly, we love neighbors like Jesus when we are willing to choose kindness and mercy as our ongoing response. Let's be known by what we're for, not what we're against. We love God and we choose to love So let's, let's be known by what we're for. Well, what are we for, man? What are we for? Let's be known for mercy. Let's be known for kindness. Let's be known for the care of others. Let's be known for the spirit-prompted carrying and lifting of our neighbors. Let's be known for tangible and practical generosity that actually helps people. Do the math. Kindness, mercy, generosity, lifting, carrying, healing, tending, wounding, all of that. Do the math. It adds up to love. Love your neighbor. But who's my neighbor? Anybody that seems strange to you or that you appear strange to. This week, pay attention to the woundedness around you. Pay attention to the people that are down that need to be lifted. Pay attention to the people that need resource to carry them through just one more day. Pay attention to someone who needs you to operate in kindness and mercy. Love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. Be like Jesus. If Michael Jordan was like basketball Jesus, I want to be like neighbor-loving Jesus. I want to be like neighbor-loving Jesus. I, just want, I don't just want to say I love God and, yeah, well, of course I love my neighbors. Yeah, I love my neighbors. I want, I want to be known. I want God's people to be known for how they love their neighbors. And last week I talked about the unity that we walk in when we say we follow. The unity, not the uniformity, but the unity. And the unity is, is, is the methodology. What we do with our lives is going to vary. It's going to be different. Where you work is different than where I work. Who you live with and who you live beside is different than who I live with and who I live beside. It's beautiful. We're all spread out. And we gather like this on the weekend. We gather. Do you want to know why we gather? We gather to scatter. We come here so that we can be reminded of our worth and our purpose when we scatter, when we go out, when we live the unique purpose of our lives in the unique places where God's called us to live our lives. 
And it's in those moments where we are and what we do, how we do those things is the uniting factor. How we walk in love is when people take notice and go, oh my goodness, that person tangibly loved me in a way that could only be like Jesus. And that's how his renown renown is going to be spread throughout this city, throughout your community, throughout the world that we live in, in simple, practical, tangible, and loving ways. Love your neighbor. Don't just say you love God. Demonstrate that love by how you love other people, strange to you or who you're strange to, I don't know, either one, but love them and love them well. Show mercy, show kindness, care for their wounds, help to carry them, give them money, show them love, be like Jesus. Amen. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that with all the voices in our society, in our own lives, with everything that shouts out at us, with everything we're tempted to compare ourselves to, with every, with every social media post that makes us feel bad about ourselves, with, with every comment made by a, a well-meaning uh, family member that, that actually stings because we're not where they think we should be, with, with all this pressure in our world to measure up and, and to compare ourselves and to be this and be that and why can't you and why didn't you and I wish you had. What a mess. But God, by your spirit, you wade into the middle of that mess and you say, whoa, 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 hold on a minute. You get to measure your worth through the grace of God, through the person of Jesus Christ, through how he lived and how he loved. And so the invitation for each one of us today is to to get our eyes up off of our own self and our own past and our own family and our own friends And to get our eyes up on the person of Jesus Christ, on on his nature and his character, and his flawless, loving interaction with every human being. And God, as your people today, more than anything, we want to choose this week to measure our lives up to the standard that you set for how to love our neighbors well. To care for their wounds. To carry them. To lift them up. To provide for their felt needs with money. And to walk in kindness and mercy. Whosoever. That's our goal. That's our mission. That's our measuring stick. In Jesus' name. Thanks so much for listening. Visit involvechurch.com for more information.